Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Tomato Timer and I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Natalia, who's a fellow at Freedom House. She's a one-year world ambassador and she used to be one of the Not Latvian's youth delegates to the United Nations. Um, Natalia, it's so good to have you. I've been waiting to speak with you for a very long time, so it's amazing to be, have you here. Yes, thank you so much. I've been very much so looking forward to this conversation. I feel like all, all our conversations end up being very valuable, at least to me. So thank you so much for having me. And vice versa. I have to kick off with learning a little bit about you when we met at COP26. Uh, you shared how, you know, you've been in the social activism work, work from for such a young age. And I just wanted to learn more about what that journey was like um, and what your learnings were of it as you've come to kind of grow through that ages. Yeah, so I started out when I was, I think, oh, 16, 15, 16, something like that, and mm -hmm. uh, started out with just broader projects like European Youth Parliament, the Youth Parliament of Latvia, not really focusing on specific issues yet because I was very, very new to the whole activism and civic and social engagement uh, type of world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started actually because friends of mine were in it and they said, oh, you might like this. This seems like you have opinions and you might want to <laughs> want to get involved. And uh, and the first like big lesson I'd say was um, European Youth Parliament, obviously a Europe wide uh, organization, just meeting people from all over Europe uh, and beyond actually, and and talking to them, hearing their perspectives on the different issues that we were trying to, you know, hypothetically solve during during the sessions was kind of the first time I had the opportunity to to experience that on such a large scale. So it really like lit a fire in me to seek that out more and seek those, you know, international settings because I mm -hmm. saw the value and just being around people who come from completely different backgrounds uh, to mine. And then the Youth Parliament of Latvia, I um, quote unquote won the online elections. I got the most votes in the online elections, which means, uh, which meant that I had direct access to the Speaker of Parliament uh, of the Republic of Latvia. Mm -hmm. And um, along with three other people, we were kind of, you know, the the presidium of the of the youth parliament. And the youth parliaments before us hadn't really thought of taking their engagement further. And mm -hmm. just by talking to, you know, people in the administration of the parliament and and members of parliament we were able to get private one-on-one -on -one meetings with members of parliament uh, advising the president i think i was like what 18 years old then being able to have a sit down with the president of the country telling him about the issues that we see and at that point i was starting to focus more on the issues i saw in our education system already mm -hmm. and so it really taught me the value of just asking because yeah. I don't know, having the audacity to ask and just be like, so can we set up, you know, being in high school asking, can I set up a meeting with the, this member of parliament? You know, we, we think, I think we should talk about this or, or just, you know, making sure that the ball keeps rolling and that you're not just, okay, this was a great experience. Let's move on to the next one, but actually maximizing it mm. at that moment. And then, you know, kind of creating fertile soil for, for whatever is coming up next. And then, yeah, and then through the years, kind of just um, refining the issues that I cared most about, which ended up being um, mainly different equality issues from, you know, LGBTQIA plus to women's rights and domestic violence and climate change and disinformation and just 
the main topics that I feel like affect my peers and um, and my country. Mm-hmm. And from then, from there on out, law school tied in with a lot of, you know, activism protests and being able to advise politicians or, or just talk to them during working groups and, and with, you know, the president, the prime minister, you kind of start to see how one opportunity just leads to the next yeah. and how if you're open to talking to people and get on their level, no matter what that might be, great things can happen and you can you know, improve life for both yourself and then your peers, hopefully. And that's what I tried to do with the UN Youth Delegacy. I was a UN Youth Delegate for a year and a half, focusing mostly on the issues that I uh, just mentioned. And it was a really, really valuable experience. And um, we were able to get a lot of young people involved, a lot of young people who didn't even really know what the UN was before Mm we, you know, started talking to them. So it was... And it has been still. So the past, I'm 23 now, the past, uh, you know, seven years or so have been very, very valuable, uh, both personally and, and professionally. It's, it's, it's a part of who I am now. Activism is, you know, it's a part of who I am. And I feel like we are kind of an activist generation. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to be able to do it. I love that. And I have multiple questions which came up but I was not wanting to interrupt because it was such a beautifully uh, articulate way you described it all, all that you did um I think the first question was and I think you've you you helped us uh, visualize it a little bit more anyway but oftentimes the political systems are so well political there's so many biases and there's so many like uh, agendas and things going on and many times you bring in youth and and kind of poster boys and girls to kind of, uh, you know, just kind of be visuals, right? You had the audacity to ask for things and you took your, you took a, a bigger chunk out of what your opportunity provided you. What what are your feelings on that as you went through? There must have been times you must have felt like this is working, I'm seeing a change. And there must have been times where you didn't see that happening. So t- talk me through that. Oh yeah, most of the time I d- didn't see change happening. So I'd say around a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit over a year and a half ago, I kind of became the default young person to invite to working groups or discussions where you need a young person in my country. Mm-hmm. So essentially I was like the the main youth representative, no matter what the conversation was, what the working group was about, it was, um, yeah, it the responsibility essentially just fell on me, yeah, by default. and. I could see so clearly how little thought had gone into in, including me, essentially. I was very happy to be there and I always did my best to prepare and to consult with, with other people and delegate that task whenever I could. But you know, when uh, a very high ranking person in your country invites you, you don't really say no. And you don't mm-hmm. say no to you know meeting presidents of other countries or of, of international institutions just because you know, it, it's a very hard balance to strike because you don't want to be rude and unappreciative, but at the same time, you might, you recognize that you might not be the best person for the job. Mm-hmm. And then you're risking kind of someone even, I don't know, less qualified, rest, less related to the <laughs> to the topic being invited just because it's the easy way out or no youth representation at all because you don't know how they're going to going to react. And so more often than not, it, yeah, you didn't reach any, any goals and it didn't even, 
my goal was always to make sure that I started a conversation and I left a linger lingering thought in their head, even if it didn't result in immediate action. Mm. But, um, and so that's why whenever I organized a, an event or a conference or a workshop uh, as UN Youth Delegate, it was my rule that we had to have a document that came out of that discussion. So okay. it wasn't just, you know, speaking into the void, but we had a set list of issues that young people see and a set list of potential solutions they they see for those issues. So we had something ready to bring because sometimes it was literally, oh, this person has uh, have to give a speech uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, we need a youth perspective on environment. Give it to me in three hours and it's like, you know, midnight or, or whatever. And so it would also serve me in, in those situations, but just in the long run, I immediately knew what I wanted. And I think that's part of the approach. You have to know what you want and what you want to bring mm -hmm. attention to in trying to make it effective and not just tokenism and just, you know, yeah. taking selfies with world leaders or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's so powerful, that articulation. And I, I personally have been doing it all, all morning and all afternoon because putting stuff down on paper you talk about so many things and it, it's it's game changing um especially if you can then get those representatives or working group people to sign off on those things like even if it's recommendations or ideas it's it makes the world of a difference to go beyond an ephemeral conversation that just lived in that moment the other question i had for you was the fact that then you you transitioned from from school and in your in your various roles and capacities working in these kind of different parliamentarian groups to go to law school. Um, was that decision informed by your experiences of this kind of activism work or was it independent? Were you gonna go into it anyway? Oof, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I applied for at least a dozen universities for programs ranging from directing to aerospace engineering to wow. journalism, <laughs> medicine, genetical engineering. I was all over the place. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And law was something that I had always been kind of interested in, but at the same time said that I would never do because both of my parents are lawyers by education. Uh -huh. So it was kind of like, a, I never want to do this uh, and then ended up doing exactly what both of my parents did. Um, but it was an intuitive decision. Again, I had thought my whole, I don't know, life essentially that I would go abroad for for university because mm -hmm. that seemed like the right thing to do, the the fun, exciting, valuable thing to do. And then I ended up, you know, staying in Latvia, studying law in Latvia, um, which was a combination that I could not have imagined. And it was a fully intuitive decision. And, you know, I saw the the need for a lot of changes to be made and with time I started appreciating more and more the fact that I decided to study law instead of something like political science or international mm. relations and no shade to people who study IA or, or, or politics but I've seen how quickly uh, a strategically litigated constitutional court case can change legislation as opposed to years of working groups and panel discussions and consulting Mm -hmm. it, it just takes a lot longer and is oftentimes not as effective. So that was also kind of an affirming moment for me when I was like, okay, so law was probably the right choice. I don't know if I'll continue being a, a lawyer or working in the, I'm not a lawyer yet, but working in the uh, legal field for my entire life. But I know that I definitely do not want to go into active politics. I don't want to be a politician. 
So there is kind of a balance that I'm looking to strike between mm. solving the issues that I care about and maintaining a, a healthy private life, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about, unpack that for me a little bit more. Um, you talk about strategic litigations and how it can affect the constitution. I'd love to make it a little bit uh, easier, layman terms for, for, mm. for some of our listeners and for myself as well, please. So how it works, at least in Latvia and, and other places, so you can strategically litigate an issue, go through essentially the court system and mm -hmm. have, uh, if it's a constitutional court in a country like Latvia and with a similar legal system, you only need, or like the Supreme Court in the United States, you get like one landmark case for that issue. And then that gets translated in, into law, into legal practice, you know, jurisprudence and, and everything mm -hmm. else. But um, you can also go through just the, the regular court system and create precedent uh, that will make it easier for the people that come after uh, mm -hmm. to reach a goal, for example, regarding civil partnerships or recognition of, of a family of a same-sex couple. And all of these you know, different things that kind of build up and lead to, to a bigger goal that you're trying to reach in the long term. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, uh, when you when you shared this with me earlier in the year, it, it was also quite profound to see that these type of, you know, really difficult cases can result in not just solving that case, but actually, you know, every other case that comes after can have a reference point uh, and point towards something that actually went through the this the legal systems and, mm -hmm. and so creates a precedent. So it's it's an incredibly impactful way and one that I didn't realize um that existed so it's it's really interesting to I hear. didn't either <laughs> I didn't either before I uh, saw it happen yeah, yeah. I want to um ask in the next question and um I've actually written it up and I often don't do that but I'd, I'd like to read it out if you don't mind um so it's a bit of a controversial topic but here it goes to be able to work on global social problems one must be in a situation where one does not need to think about where their next meal is going to come from it comes from a place of privilege. How does one go about this? Much of the work social entrepreneurs or youth activists do is unpaid. It doesn't directly support your career and need huge amounts of social capital to even enter. What do you think about the contradiction between those with a lived experience of the problem versus those who witness and try to solve it, but don't actually face it themselves? Yes, this is a very good question <laughs> that we have uh, we have talked about uh, in the past and I think about and, and discuss a lot as well. And so I think the the first thing that should be said here is that privilege must be recognized. It can't, mm -hmm. you can't just go about, oh, I'm going to, without any self-awareness. I think self-awareness is a lot, is a big part of being an activist and a big part about caring about different issues that might not directly impact you. And mm -hmm. um, privilege in this case can also be a tool you the, the problem still exists no matter if it exists for you or for somebody else and if you're in a position to you know volunteer your time or to do an unpaid internship or to do something outside of your daily work or daily studying to improve a situation uh, for someone for example in your community why shouldn't you do that well there the, like the second part of your question comes in is can you fully actually understand the issue being somebody who is not fully affected by it. And then it kind of like creates this cycle in my head of, I've talked to people before and I've been called out on Twitter before, for example, for coming from a fairly privileged background, which I have never denied um, and try very 
hard to to maintain as a as a common like as a thread when I talk to people about my experiences and and uh, my life essentially. Um, I've been called out, yeah, by people saying that, oh, but why are you trying to solve this issue if it doesn't even affect you? You don't actually know what it's like or what it's about. You will never be able to fully understand it. And firstly, that is a very big assumption to make about somebody. You see a very small part of them, for example, online, not knowing mm -hmm. them. You don't know if they might be privileged now. You don't know what their situation was like growing up. You don't know their family situation. You don't you don't know a lot of things about people. Yeah. And secondly, while I publicly recognize my privilege and don't shy away from it. Do you not want me to solve it then? Is that, you know, what we end up with? Is that the the solution to just, oh, because you're not able to understand, you should not take part in trying to resolve it, which I think is a, is, it's not a productive way of looking at things and it's based in principle. And I respect that because there is, the world is a very unfair place and people have a lot of, you know, feelings and emotions attached to privilege and, 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 and opportunity that comes with privilege and the ease of life that maybe comes with privilege. And, and I fully understand that position as well. But for me, the approach has been as long as I'm staying respectful to a person that this is affecting and I am not just projecting my own opinions and not um, falsely victimizing myself in some way, I think it's still better to try and improve a, a problem. And that is not taking the problem away from somebody in a way that makes it kind of, you know, something of an analogy, I guess, is uh, what's currently happening with the West's reaction to what's happening in Ukraine. Mm. A lot of people try to like sensationalize it and be like paranoid about it, even though it doesn't affect them. And the people there don't want you to be paranoid. They are still, you know, standing strong and they're hoping for the best possible outcome. And if you start, you know, sounding off the alarm bells before anything actually happens, it ends mm -hmm. up being more damaging. So I think that's a very fine line and activism is privilege and being an ally for example of the lgbt community is a privilege and if you use that privilege for good and not selfishly um, while it might benefit your career in some way maybe that should not be your main goal mm -hmm. it's a, it's a very and it's also yeah, a matter of you know ethics and where your values are and why you're doing the things that you're doing because Oftentimes, people have trouble understanding that I, for example, do a lot of the things I do just because I care and just Not because I... makes look good. Yeah, exactly. I, I do them because I legit, I genuinely care and I want to solve these things or, or make them better, improve in some way. Yeah. And for somebody who does not have the luxury of, you know, going and changing or trying to change somebody something that they care about that doesn't directly affect them, it might look suspicious and rightfully so, because why are you coming in here? This doesn't affect you. You have, you know, everybody has their issues. So it's, it's a very complicated topic and sorry for my messy answer, but I hope no, I got no. my point across somewhat. No, I, I, I appreciate it very much. And I, I, it's something I think a lot about as well, similarly coming from a privileged background, but also similarly, coming from a background which is not very far from uh you know poverty and and seeing both yeah. viscerally very real very very tangibly 
um, not even so, but even now I can go and, and kind of witness the differences in, in social classes and, and qualities that exist. Um, and similarly, going about, you know, you went through the activism work, I went through a more of an entrepreneurial route. But to be able to think about doing something like, I don't know, working on, on, a, on a project for seven years of my life when I and, and you know, continuing my my career in this space versus going down a very cushy job in the corporate world. It's a decision I've been able to make because I have a support system which goes much beyond um, what others have, essentially. And it's something I recognize and I I wish I could. Um, my, my only kind of goal is often is not not to empathize because I think it's it's actually empathy is, is again <laughs> a word that's being sensationalized and you will see every company corporate culture talking about empathy and it really annoys me because empathy is such a powerful powerful emotion to the extent that highly empathetic people actually have challenges in, in going in through society because they're unable to fear fear face the pain of others um, because that's how strong empathy is. So what we most of the time when we say empathy, we probably mean sympathy um, mm -hmm. and even that to a very low degree because you don't know how it feels like to not know whether you're going to be sleeping in a, in your, you know, uh, under a roof or not, or whether you're going to get food in the next week or not, or you're going to be, uh, you know, living as, you know, as a political asylum seeking refugee or not. So these are such uh, profound challenges that we are unable to feel. That's simply it. But what we can do, with our voices, with our backgrounds, with our support systems that exist, is at least try to represent them in the places that we can, um, make their voices heard. And we, we talk a lot about empowerment. If there are opportunities to empower them versus ourselves, no doubt about it. I know me and I, and I, I know you would at the same time, you know, be trying to find opportunities to do so. Uh, but it is, it is such a, it's such a contradictory feeling. And I, I, I appreciate just talking through it and it, just for myself as well, because it, it, it helps me feel a little bit more grounded and, and kind of understanding of it as well. To go from a quite a philosophical question uh, to a bit more of a another thing that you've been working on, another project, which is uh, really interesting and it connects with everything that we've discussed above. You are really interested in almost exposing the societal structures, the legal and political systems that exist in your own, but other parts of the world, our global systems as well, to a younger audience, to, to children and young children. Tell me about why this is a problem you're very passionate about and, and why do you think it's important to do? I think it's important and it, it comes, I think, from uh, from also yeah my upbringing and my like activism background is that I see how much can be achieved both for a person individually and for a larger goal by just becoming a bit more aware and becoming involved, like taking that one little extra step. Mm -hmm. And if you, for example, are not even informed about how your parliament works or how to fill out a, a voting ballot to go yeah. and vote or how, you know, essentially the basics of democracy, the, you know, the, the personal is political, the political is personal. It's, it's, intertwined in our lives. And I feel like we grow up with a notion that politics is something distant, that politics mm -hmm. is like a, a beast that uh, regular people should not uh, get involved in. I think that's the furthest thing from the truth that, yeah. that could could be. And so I think starting young and, and educating kids and, and, I don't know, teenagers or anyone really about what their country can do for them and what they can ask of their country and who they're supposed to be asking that from 
is a very valuable and kind of powerful start to, again, a, a generation of even more activists, a generation that, you know, has higher voter turnouts and therefore hopefully a better functioning, better representative democracy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's the cornerstone of, of everything we know. And while democracies might not be ideal, they're the best we have. And I'm committed to making sure that I'm not, or we're not kind of like the, the last generation that, that sees that and that has, mm -hmm. can, can, you know, be empowered by it and, uh, and build a life in it. So that's where that comes from uh, for me. And, you know, also having four younger sisters there. Uh, I, I sadly don't get to see them very Adorable. often. Yes, but there are a, a huge driving force in my my everyday life and, and work. And um, yeah, I always have them in the back of my mind when I'm doing things. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask one final question. I know we're running out of time, but I, I just, I need to hear it from you because uh, I'm, I'm so inspired by what you've just shared. We've shared kind of in external kind of channels as well. But, you know, you've been in the public eye for quite a while, from a very young age. You've been speaking publicly. You've been sharing publicly in written, spoken, different forms. Um, at a very, uh, you know, malleable, metamorphizing stage of your life, it's, it's, it's a big challenge. So I wanted to hear from you because there's young people out there who, who, who believe they want to get their message out, but they feel not confident, they feel anxious about those sort of things. How have you dealt with it? And what have you, what are the challenges that have come about? But, you know, what, what would you leave our, our audience inspired by? Uh, yes, I, um, I mean, I did start sharing my life online from a very young age, just out of curiosity for what that's like, and, and, you know, how it can influence my life or, or amplify things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I honestly have my online presence to thank for a lot of the experiences and a lot of the yeah, professional advancement that I've had. And while on the one hand it does, and it has in the past discredited me to a lot of very serious people who just think I'm, I don't know, a, a person who does stuff online and it can be um, a disadvantage to some point, I would never, you know, go back and do anything differently really because it led me to where I am now and I would not be here right now if it hadn't been for for my public um public presence um as small as it might have been uh even in the beginning uh it's I owe a lot to it and a lot to the the opportunity to share my thoughts uh, online and so my kind of approach is something that stuck with me from um it's something my father said to me when I was young and he said uh, everything counts. And it's a very simple approach, but when you start applying the kind of thought of, oh, everything counts to your life, it actually creates um, this different perspective, I would say. So I think he said it to me for the first time when I wanted to skip dance class uh, when I was a kid, uh, mm -hmm. because I was tired, I just didn't want to go, I don't remember, but he said to me, like, everything counts. Just remember that, like, you skipping this class counts you going to this class and doing you know a great job also counts so everything you do counts no matter what it is how small it is how small it might be in the moment it kind of influences your whole life in a way at the mm -hmm. end so that is kind of the thought that i've been keeping again in the back of my head doing everything i do is that everything counts the good the bad the ugly everything counts mm -hmm. and uh 
not having a, I'm, I don't have a plan for my life. So the everything counts uh, kind of approach also plays into that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so it's very simple, but I think everybody can take it and, and run with it and, and see how it affects their perspectives of their own lives and their choices um, on the daily. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Very simple, but very, very powerful. Thank you so much, Natalia. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, and I hope you have a lovely, lovely day. Thank you so much. It was lovely to be here. Take care. Bye. Bye.